0: Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com/b to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com/b e. Well, it was bound to happen. A podcast about podcasting. In this episode, we've got Karen McClelland, and she's an instructional designer who used podcasting to create a new form of learning for her clients. It's super awesome, exciting, and inspiring. And be sure to stick around to the very, very end when you get to hear a very special story that I'm sure will brighten up your day. Let's get started.
1: They are the Fabulous Learning Nerds, because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the Fabulous Learning Nerds.
0: Scott and Dan are making it lots of fun, the best ideas that you've ever
1: heard. So everybody spread the word. learning nerds. fabulous learning nerds oh
0: yeah hey everybody welcome back to another fantastic episode of your fabulous learning nerds my name is scott Judy, i'm your host and with us as always you love him dan coonrod
1: dan the man oh yeah
0: mr coonrod oh mr coonrod how official hey scott how you doing I feel official today. I feel Ooh. like giving you respect. I don't know if that's very, like, you're not used to it or anything, but today is <laughs> Respect Daniel Coonrod Day, which I think is going to be fantastic. I I don't know how I feel about that. I, mm, 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 you don't nope. know how you feel? No. No, that's weird. I bet weird. I know how you feel about it. You know how I think you feel about it? How do you think I feel, Scott? Fear <laughs> to me. <laughs> Walked. Right into it, ladies and gentlemen. you walked right into that. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yes, yes. True yeah, story. today's true story. Tre- it is true story. Also with us in studio, um, you lover, the Duchess of Design, Abby Dawson. Everybody, Abby. Hey there. How you doing?
1: I'm good. My wheels are already turning about how I'm going to celebrate uh, Dan Coonrod Day. It is. (laughs) I'm trying to think about what I'm going to cook and what I'm going to wear. I think I need a new hat. There's a lot to do.
0: I'm wildly uncomfortable right now. (laughs) 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 Daniel Coonrod Day, everybody. Oh, no. No. Oh.
1: Yeah. I'm
0: here for it. All right. We have to collectively identify how we celebrate Daniel Coonrod Day, right?
1: I feel like it needs to be later in the year, though.
0: It needs to because,
1: be. Yeah, later in the year, because I need time. One, I need time to knit a beard, but then I don't want to wear it in the middle of summer. <laughs> I got to be able to wear the knit beard all day, so.
0: hmm hmm oh, Yeah, no. and I need to spend way more time in a closet to get ready <laughs> to do stuff, right? Oh man! Um, oh. If you would like to uh, reach out and give suggestions on Daniel Coonrad Day, uh, when to celebrate and things to celebrate, please email us at learningnerdscast at gmail dot com, and we'll be sure to read it. If you write to us, that'd be great. Our uh, mysterious friend wrote back to us, by the way, gang. Oh, um, really? Yes. Yeah, I think oh, oh Victoria, whatever her name was. Yeah, she she said hi, and I deleted it. So. There it is. At any rate, we have chit chatted way too long and we need to get into some groovy stuff because we've got a very special guest with us tonight, Kara uh, McClelland. Um, and she's going to be talking to us about, oh my goodness, well, I'll let her talk to us about what she's going to talk about. But um, folks, um, let's get to know Kara with a little segment that we call What's Your Deal?
2: Hey, man. What's your deal? Kara! Hello!
0: What's your deal?
2: What's my deal? Well, before I kick into talking about myself, I do want to point out that you can get a very convincing Daniel Coonrod beard on Amazon.com. And I happen to know this from firsthand experience.
1: Kara, I already like you so much. Okay. Aww. All right. <laughs> oh, this
3: is awesome. That is, that,
1: that is <laughs> awesome. No, no!
0: Okay, Amazon. We'll put the link in the show notes. That's that's really awesome. <laughs>
2: I, I I will say that Dan, uh, as of maybe a week ago, was my manager, and our team, whole team, may or may not have all purchased Daniel Coonrod costumes and showed up to our meeting. All true. It's true. Dressed it's as true. Dan. No oh, way. I Love it. <laughs> Do you have a video of
0: this? I hope.
2: We do. They do. <laughs> oh my do. gosh! We came in hot, like saying, "Hey, hey, party people! How's it going? I'm fair to midland. We had it all down."
0: <laughs> oh my and I gosh! I think
2: We saw Dan's eyes, like his life, flash before his eyes. It's like, <laughs> why did you do this to me?
0: <laughs> was there anybody higher up in that meeting? Because that would have been glorious.
2: Yes. Yes. Our boss's boss was there. <laughs> Dan, <laughs> she was you the ever one see? videoing.
1: <laughs> Did you ever think their love would manifest in that way? I had,
0: I had hoped not. I had hoped not. <laughs> wow. I'm I'm a lot jelly, but that's okay. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. Dan, we love you. That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> Kara, we know a lot about Dan. I know very little about you. Neither does our audience. Tell us what's your deal?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I am an instructional designer at Asurian. Uh, but like many of my fellow instructional designers, I came at it in a sort of roundabout way. Uh, I was a really artsy kid, and I discovered pretty early on that music was my main artistic love. And so I did the whole nine yards. I played piano, I sang in choir, I did musicals, I wrote my own music. And I eventually went for uh, to college for it and uh, got a master's degree in musicology, which is just fancy lingo for big giant music history nerd. And from there started teaching as an adjunct at the college level. So like history, uh, music history courses, music appreciation courses. And it was there that I really learned how to build a curriculum and make PowerPoints and devise, you know, different kinds of engaging learning activities. And with Music courses, as you might imagine, listening and music is pretty much imperative for that kind of thing. So, sound has always been part of my learning experience, and I've always really been comfortable with that. Um, And I really loved getting to talk about music all day, but I will say that being an adjunct isn't great unless you're cool with working at like three different universities at the same time while making like literal poverty wages. So, when I got um, a job notice for um, a public radio station, a classical music station, I thought, I'm going to go for this. And I got the job. And that is where I really learned the craft of audio storytelling and crafting a good story just with sound and how to make podcast episodes. And just really loved it. It really lit my fire creatively. And I was in the midst of that job when one of my friends approached me and said, Hey, have you ever thought about doing instructional design? And I said, No. <laughs> and he said, You know, I work at this place called Asurian. It's a really great place to work. I think you would really be good at instructional design. Why don't you think about it? And so I kind of put that in my back pocket for a while. And then it just happened that Um, Unfortunately, our classical music station closed down during the pandemic. And I thought, what a great time to start thinking about instructional design. (laughs) And uh, I uh, it, it just happened that a position opened up around the time I was looking for a job. It happened to be on the sales ID team led by one Mr. Dan Coonrod. And I will be honest, I had to do some real soul searching because The jump from public radio to like corporate sales was a really big one for me, and I wasn't sure if I was cut out for it. Um, But I decided to give it a go and I applied and I, I thought it was pretty much a long shot. And I think I said this in my interview because I was not an instructional designer and I also didn't know a ton about sales. And so to my surprise, I ended up getting the job and um, was kind of jumped into this world that was very unfamiliar to me. And I think it was like day three on the job that we all went to this digital sales soiree, this conference where all day you go and you view panels and you listen to people speak and watch presentations. And I honestly felt like I was listening to another language. I didn't know what anybody was talking about. And I went to my husband that night and I was like, I maybe made a big mistake. <laughs> and um, it was like later that week, I think I had a one on one with Dan and he was real straight with me. And he said, look, nobody wants to sit down and make PowerPoints for fun. Nobody likes to do that. And. What is something that you are passionate about? What is something that you want to build? And I said, well, I want to make a podcast. That's what I love doing. And that's what I'm interested in. And um, to his great credit, he was like, cool, let's do it. Having known me for like several days. And so um, I kind of realized at that point, like, I think I can make this work. Like the fact that I get this opportunity to do this creative thing um, and I wanted to really, or I decided to really lean into my lack of sales skills and uh, created a podcast called Sales Quest, where, like, over the course of ten episodes, I went from sales punk to sales professional by interviewing people in sales leadership all over the company. Um, So it really was a way to, you know, showcase the people who were making sales happen at Assurian, and helping solidify the culture that we are trying to build around sales there. Um, But even more importantly, I think it created a piece of content where I became sort of an avatar of sorts, where anyone can drop in and listen to that journey and go along with me when they're learning about sales, when they don't know anything about it. Um, So it was so fun to make. And it really ended up being a much bigger success than I think even we anticipated within the company. And so that's sort of where I am today. Uh, I wrapped up season one and am sort of devising what the next step of that journey looks like. And I'm excited about it. Um, So that's my deal.
0: That is awesome. That is a great deal. And, You know, I don't know about the Stan Coonrod guy you keep lonely talking about, but you know, (laughs) other than that, it's a really great story and I'm super excited and our audience (laughs) is going to be super excited as we kind of like peel a couple layers of the onions back and talk a little bit about podcasting for learning. I'm so stoked about that. And so, folks, without further ado, let's dive into our topic of the week. Are you ready? All right, Kara, um, we're going to be talking about podcasting for learning. Hey, that's something we kind of do, which is great. I know, so, <laughs> I know right? Feels sort of meta. meta. <laughs> <I'm> so excited. <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and take it away from your perspective. Start laying some groovy stuff on us around uh, this idea and passion of yours for podcasting.
2: Sure. I think uh, one of the things that came to mind for me first is that there is an inherent curiosity around podcasting um i know that when i listen to podcasts i'm usually picking one up because i want to learn some sort of information whether that is someone analyzing the news of the day or um maybe someone doing an interview with an author that just wrote a cool book that i'm interested in or some investigative journalistic thing um but i'm always um wanting to learn something when i listen For the most part, and I think that that is really natural thing to just lean into that a little bit more and create something that is specific to a learning or training environment. So I think that is a natural way to go. Um, Kind of building off of that, there is a real familiarity about it in the sense that I would say not a lot of people probably sit down and take a computer-based training or an instructor-led training every day for fun. Um, maybe they're out there somewhere, but uh, I know so many people pick up a podcast every day just to listen in their leisure time um so it's really great to be able to um think about that as an appealing option for people to have the opportunity to do something that they would do for fun in you know their spare time and sort of wield that in a learning environment so that's another really great thing, I think, about podcasting for learning. And another thing that I think is really special about it is there is a super intimate feeling about it. I know maybe I'm, I don't think I'm alone, but I have convinced myself that I could be like best friends with everybody who hosts my favorite podcast, (laughs) even though... (laughs) Like, I'm literally a stranger to them. But I'm like, yeah, I could totally go out and get a drink with Terry Gross and we could talk about the latest, like, art house film she'd seen. And um, that's something that would happen in reality. Um, but <laughs> I I think that if you are able to earn people's um, comfort, I guess, like, what better way to learn than from someone you would think of as a friend? I think that's really powerful thing when you're, you know, listening to someone's voice in your set of headphones can be really cool. Plus, I will say that um, even though I am able to insert a little bit of my voice and a little bit of my aesthetic into, say, like a PowerPoint that I'll build for training, uh, with a podcast, and with SalesQuest in specific, I had full creative control. So I was able to put so much more of my personality and my authentic self in it um which i think really appeals people or i hope maybe it turns some people off but i uh i hope that they appreciate that like level of personable um you know intimacy between a listener and someone podcasting and then at the very core of it it's super convenient people can like Listen on the go, they can listen in the car, they can listen on a runaway train, they can listen jumping out of an airplane, literally, like they can listen in so many spaces. And that is so essential for um, even a corporate sales space where people are busy and it's hard to pull people from the phones or from the front of the store. And so, if you have a podcast as an option, um, maybe not as your main training source, but as sort of an accoutrement to some training. I think that's really a powerful tool to wield. So those are just some of the the first things that popped into my mind, thinking about how podcasting can be like a super great, viable learning solution.
0: Yeah, I think that's really awesome. If we could take a step back, like for your experience, like I, I got to imagine there is a whole bunch of people in the audience going, yeah, I want to do this. This sounds really great. How, how the heck do I start? Where do I start, right? So think of thinking about that, like what the objectives were, what your rhythm was, who your audience was, like talk to us a little bit about the process, right? So if I want to do this, this is a really great idea. What are what was your process like? Um, what were your learnings like? And what are some things that are essential for success when we start talking about podcasting for learning?
2: Yeah. I always start with a why. I think that's one of the most important questions you can ask yourself. Um, And that's twofold. It's why am I making this? Um, And also, has somebody else already done it? So you got to kind of listen to what's already out there. But even more important, why are people going to listen? Why should they listen to this? What need am I filling? And um, what are people going to get out of it? And that's essential when you're creating something for training. Um, And from there, I will usually do some sort of creative brief where I put that into like an elevator pitch and I make sure it's really clear and concise. And um, SalesQuest in particular is interview-based. So I would have these great conversations with people and it wasn't something for me, um, and this is not the only way to do it. It's just the way I'm comfortable with it um, where I would hit record and then we'd do the podcast and that would be it. I would go in and do a lot of editing to make sure that everybody's point was concise and clear and and we got it down to a certain time. And, um, the other thing I really lean into is making a sound rich environment. I think part of that comes from my background in music where I want to hear interesting sound and not just the sound of my own voice the whole time. <laughs> so, um, putting in those elements that keep people engaged and um, wanting to listen and also using it to help create a structure that, you know, your listeners become familiar with. So, I mean, y'all are doing it with, you know, everybody has the what's my deal and then you dive into the, the main topic of the day. And that's something that people are familiar with every time they push play on a new episode of this podcast. Um, so that's something that I always like to think about is what are the most creative ways that I can make this a sound-rich experience for listeners. And the other thing that I will say is absolutely essential is getting yourself a good editor who kind of knows the ropes and can tell you everything from high level, like the structure here doesn't work, or I don't understand the point you're trying to make, or this sounds weird to the granular, like you're taking a weird breath there, or I don't like the way you pronounce this word. and. um, just really digging in and polishing it and making it the best that it can be um, and that's that's pretty much my process for SalesQuest, but also when I was doing podcasting for the radio station, um just really crafting a good story and making it an enjoyable thing for people to hear
0: what's your sweet spot on time right? So there's different thoughts on time. I know people that do two three hour shows, and that's great, and I know a bunch of people like ten minutes. <laughs> right so (laughs) what was your sweet spot or is or does that depend right
2: it you know it depends i will say at the at the station we would do full-length podcasts which were between i would I, i would say the sweet spot there was about 20 minutes um but then we would always have to edit down a version that we would play on air which was you know four to five minutes um So you get really good at like pulling out the the um, core of what you're trying to get across. And then always when you play, you can say, hey, listen to the whole thing at, you know, whatever. And um, another thing that I did a lot was make promos, uh, 30 second promos for the episode. So you have to pull out your most essential quotes and the most interesting piece of sound and hook people that way. So. I have a lot of experience working within time limits, but um for SalesQuest, our sweet spot was um between 20 and 30 minutes, um, leaning towards 20. Um, and there were some people who wanted it to be even shorter, but I think for what we had are wanting to accomplish with it, 20 minutes was about right for us. But I think you can tell a really compelling story in 10 minutes if it's done well.
3: No, yeah. I, I agree. I'd like to circle to that idea of a promo and okay. So like having insider knowledge of this process, obviously like for those folks out there who are wanting to like, like, Hey, how do I get a podcast? Like where I work, how do I convince my leaders to like, let me make a podcast as a learning tool. That promo was so valuable. Like you made this great. I think it was, I think it was one minute like introduction of like what it could sound like, what it was going to be about you. Like you promised the narrative. And then as soon as like we had that, that promo available, people would listen to it and be like, Oh yes, I want this. Okay, cool. Go make it. What else do you need? And it opened so many doors. So for for our listeners out there who are like, man, I want to make a podcast where I work. I want to use a podcast as a learning tool, take the time, make that 30 second to one minute promo
0: and use that to open up doors. It's So, so valuable. Yeah. So what are some of the elements that go into a good promo then?
2: Um, For SalesQuest, like Dan said, it was really getting across the narrative that we were trying to sell, which is me going from sales punk to sales professional by um, talking to people. And so I wanted to make that come across in the most entertaining way possible. So I started each episode by introducing myself, saying that I was a member of the sales ID team, and then immediately going into, but actually, I don't know anything about sales. (laughs) So, you know, come along for this journey as I learn about sales from people all over the company. Um, And part of that, too, was adding sound rich elements. So it was, you know, we had a music bed, I had a couple of sound effects, and um, it just ended up being a really nice encapsulation of what we were trying to do in 60 seconds. Um, and it really did. I think people went from skeptical to like, yeah, I'm in. I want this.
1: I think it's such an interesting addition to what we can do with learning that doesn't have to necessarily be in person, but you still get a lot of the advantages of the in-person. So I don't I don't know a lot about how you guys put Salesquest together or if it was part of a bigger program, but when you pitched it, did you talk about how it would fill a gap or um, or do something that you weren't going to accomplish otherwise?
2: Yeah. We spent a lot of time thinking about who it was for and decided that we wanted to gear it towards um, sales leadership. I will say that sales is relatively new in the Assurian world. So there is still some, I think, gap in terms of everybody understanding the moving parts and what everybody is doing and um to be able to hear first um, hand from somebody over in sales enablement and somebody over in training and really get a sense of that um culture which is something that i was able to kind of steer towards with the the type of questions that i was asking and the type of editing that i would do um i think helped craft that um culture that we're wanting to build and also just keep people informed about what's going on in these different parts of um, the company in terms of sales, because it's a huge machine with many cogs um, that is always turning and changing. Uh, so I think that was our initial goal with it. And I think we're still um, working on different ways to continue achieving that.
1: That is such a cool thought. i How often do we hear like culture and um, an ID? We're like, I guess that's a font or a color scheme (laughs) 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 to to say like, no, we have like a real way to share culture that is um, human and intrinsic. Uh, So that's that's a good ad. I really like that.
2: Well, and I think it's so essential to what our team does, and it's one of the things that made me feel good about being on the team is because you know when a lot of people hear sales. It's really cringy, and I will say that that was sort of my first reaction too, when I heard like, Oh, this position is on a sales team. I don't know if I can do that. um, but one of the top priorities that that we try to achieve with everything we do, not only the podcast but with everything that we build is make it human focused and make it real and um you know, we're not sales robots, so we're talking to real people doing a real job and uh, the podcast was a really nice way to push that a little farther, I think.
0: Talk to me a little bit about channels, right? So you've got this thing and you need to place it where your audience expects to get it. One of the things I love about podcasts is that I have an app, as everybody does, and that's, you know, when I get going in the morning, that's the first place I go. What What new do I need to listen to? A little bit trickier when you're talking about internal communications or podcasting learning, right? So um, what was your experience like from a channel distribution and an awareness perspective, or did you just throw it out there?
2: Um, It's something we had a few conversations about, and I was glad that I had a team around me to help me do it. Um, But we had um, a place on a website where it lived, where people could access it, who needed to hear it. and not only like the main episode, but all the back episodes as well. And we had communications going out over email to let people know that the next episode was live. And we also had a big Slack channel where we tried to um, create some excitement around it by, you know, dropping in samples and having um, trivia from past episodes and giving out, you know, little prizes here and there. And um yeah, it's something I'm, I am not personally like the best at that. And I certainly didn't know the ropes at Asurion in terms of communication. So the best tool for me was to find the people who did know and make friends with them and have them help me do that part of it.
3: I'd like to circle back around and talk about podcasting as, as, as a learning tool. Like we've talked about kind of how to make it. We've talked about like the, the value as a culture transfer piece uh, but can you talk a little bit like where do you think like podcasting would excel over traditional like learning tools
2: I don't know that I think about it as an either or or a better or a worse um, I really do think that it is a nice like part of the bigger puzzle um, there are there are so many things that we need so many pieces of information that we need to get across in the sales ID team that just wouldn't work in a podcast um but when you add that on top of it um it's a good way to keep people engaged and um learning in different ways i guess you could say and i had that experience too teaching at universities where you know we have our traditional lecture and we do this and we do that but people sort of sit up a little more when you say and i also want you to listen to this podcast um because it's something that i hope people still get excited about in terms of oh i can learn from from this thing that maybe i didn't expect to have in this type of environment um so if learners are coming in expecting to hear and hopefully not at this point at the company expecting to hear some dry sort of um presentation um, where you're falling asleep, hopefully that's one of the curveballs that you can throw at them. Like, ah, we also have this that you can listen to and we have this experience that you can do. Um, so creating a better like rounded hole, I guess, of learning, um, I, I see it fitting in there, if that makes sense. Kara, can, can, can I ask some process questions? Like, because yeah. I like program management. I like creating
1: process. I like everyone understanding what their role is going to be and how we're going to get things done. Podcast development's a little bit different. Well, it's a lot bit different, right? <laughs> than our other resources that we create. So once you've decided I think this is going to be a part of our learning program, how would you help the team plan for how you're actually going to get it done? Um, what like review process and who should be involved, and you know how to how to think through the timelines and, and elements they need to consider as they go, go on this new kind of product development. Mm-hmm.
2: I will say with SalesQuest, it was um, pretty easy on that front because I was pretty much driving the ship in terms of production. Um, so I was in, you know, Dan would help me reach out to people to schedule interviews and I would do the interviews, the transcriptions, the editing. I would shoot that back over to him and he would give me notes and I would do a final edit and we were good to go. Um, which was nice because that was kind of how I was working at the radio station, which is pretty much everybody's working on a different project. So you're, you're pretty much doing it all yourself. Um, but we also had to plan for me stepping away from our regular content. So there were some concessions, the other members of our team made by, you know, making sure the projects were taken care of while I was focusing part of my time on sales quest. And, uh, I think they were a little hesitant about it at first, but we were able to find a good rhythm. And I know that as soon as I figured out what it was um, and what my process of creating each episode was going to be, that got a lot faster for me. Um, So it was uh, just increasingly comfortable for everybody as, as we moved on. I will say we also had the benefit of people not knowing about it. So we got full creative control and kind of got to do whatever we want to a reasonable extent. Um, and now that a lot of people have heard it, I think it will be a more interesting challenge to sort of guide it in the way that we want it to go creatively without so much input from the outside. And some some of that is probably great. And I'm glad to hear ideas and, um, new things to keep it fresh, but also want to make sure that like it is going in the the way that I have had envisioned it and that I keep steering it um, without everybody trying to, to steer it towards, you know, the goal that they want to achieve.
1: That's hard to do. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So did you do the editing or do you have an editing team that took care of your stuff? I did it. It was okay. a
2: sort of a one-person show.
0: What did, uh, tell our audience, like, hey, I want to get into this. Like, what what should I consider from an editing perspective? I don't know how to edit a podcast. What 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 tools do I need, both hardware and software, to, to make this thing work?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I've used a couple different uh, recording um, softwares. I've used Logic Pro, and I also use Adobe Audition. I kind of like Audition a lot for podcasts. And, um, so I would just record our interview there. And actually, um, actually I was using a a website called cleanfeed.com, which was a way to connect with someone remotely that sounded a little better than just doing it over zoom. And that was one of, I'd say the most challenging parts I'm sure, you know, is making sure people like had headphones And maybe we're using the best mic and weren't in the loudest room possible. So it's really helpful, I think, from a production standpoint to do a lot of, you know, prepping on the front end. Like, here's three, the three most important things for you to know as a podcast guest. And um, then from there, I would usually have about an hour's worth of conversation that I would put through some transcription software. Um, I've used Trent. Um, Descript is the one that I'm using now, which has a lot of really cool features in terms of um, capabilities beyond just transcription. But I would then just read through it and highlight, um, yes, this is definitely an excellent moment. or I love this question, and I love the way they answered it. This is, you know, a sort of more meandering you know, answer and I can get rid of that. Or they kind of repeat themselves here and just really hone in on the core of what people are trying to get across. And uh, from there would just edit things down, make sure everything sounded good in in terms of like clips moving from, you know, one to the other, and then put it in my formula of like, we have this section, we have the the intro we have the main interview we have our lightning round where we get to know them and we have the part where i sort of level up um which we threw some like cool video game music over and so once i had that figured out which that was the part that took the longest is figuring out what worked and what felt good but once i had that formula i was like yeah this question goes here this one goes here i think i'm going to flip these around and it makes the most sense in this order and um that was pretty much the process
0: Other best practices that you found? That's fantastic.
2: Oh, other best practices. Um, I think one of the things that I try to keep in mind is to not, um, to not get closed so much into your own process that you, um, get defensive at all about somebody coming in like a good editor and saying, this isn't working, (laughs) um, I had a pretty tough editor at the radio station and sometimes it was a a little bit of a bruise to the ego when you work so hard on something and they say, eh, I'm not, I'm not feeling this. Um, But ultimately that makes you better and it'll make your podcast better when you can recognize really great pieces of advice, even if it contradicts kind of your own idea of what something should be. Um, Because in my experience, when I have gone back and taken really great pieces of advice and infused it into what I was doing. You come back and you listen to it and like, actually, yeah, that is a lot better. And that makes a lot more sense. And um, I think because I work so much in a solo capacity on the podcast, that's even more important to continue taking feedback from people and um, making it even better than I even maybe thought it could be at the start. I think that's great advice. And
1: especially a podcast, it's so easy to hide behind um, an online learning or something where you've made slides or something, but it's not your voice, your personality. Um, And I think that scares a lot of people when it comes to podcasting is, oh my gosh, like I am making something that is me. I'm going to have to hear feedback that is about me. (laughs) Um, So you really got to sometimes step out of a comfort zone to not only put yourself out there, but then to hear feedback. That's, that's a tough place to be.
2: Yeah. It is not always fun. I will say that, (laughs) but it is always for the greater good for the most part.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Talk to us about results, right? So, Hey, this is a lot of fun. I love having fun at work, but fun is one thing. Results are another thing. So what, Were the results against expectations when it came to the work you did in the uh, podcast learning realm?
2: Uh, As I mentioned before, the response to the podcast was uh, even bigger than we expected it to be, which is a it was a really pleasant surprise, Um, and it was also something that I had to tell myself not to get intimidated by, um, because suddenly you know we were aiming for sort of like a manager level leadership hearing this, and then suddenly it's been sent out to our CEO and he loves it and all the C level staff love it. And so, uh, I had to get not get in my head so much about uh, (laughs) changing anything because of the audience, um, because I had a clear path and I knew what I wanted to achieve. Um, so it was nice that we overshot. Um, but I think that it really landed with the group that, uh, we meant for, uh, originally meant it for. And in terms of tracking that, we, um, you know, uploaded the audio to a system called Panopto, which Dan might be able to speak on a little bit more if we're curious about that. But we were able to see how many people were listening and also at what point they were kind of tuning out. And we were really pleasantly surprised by the fact that, you know, often they would make it well past the halfway point or, you know, three quarters of the way through um, if they opted out at all. Um, So that was a real boost to us to know that people were not only listening, but they were listening to most of the most of the podcast.
1: Dan, you haven't secretly been doing that for this podcast and not telling us that they're (laughs) opting out right after your drop, are you? (laughs)
0: Well, no. (laughs) Dan, talk to us about Panopto.
3: Oh, uh, Panopto. So um, I just have some acquaintance with it. It's a tool that uh, where I was previously, they were using to do uh, basically to help gather analytics from media as they pushed it out when people disconnect, when people disengage, like where they skip around. It has some really nifty uh, learning embedding features. So very, very interesting tool.
1: Kara, did you find any limitations? Like in your opinion, even though it's a great learning tool, where would you go? Let's pause. Maybe podcast is not what we need for this.
2: Um, I can speak to our intention with SalesQuest specifically with this question, because we had some push from people to put it out to frontline. And uh, the people who are actually doing the selling. And I I think we were hesitant about that because there, as I mentioned before, there are so many like detailed pieces of information that we have to get out to them. And they have to say it in a way that is legally approved. And I don't think that that stuff is really best for a podcasting format. Um, But when it comes to, I think as we said, building culture and, and throwing in a podcast as sort of an addition to a learning environment. I think it's really effective there. And I'm also excited uh, to sort of dream up other ways that audio can be used in a learning environment, maybe in a way that I'm not thinking about it yet, because um, I certainly don't have all the answers. And I think that's part of what is exciting for me about it is saying like, oh, I don't know if I can achieve that in this way. Um, but it's kind of fun to try and figure out how. And it feels really good when you nail it. And you don't always. But that's part of the process, I think, of being a good designer is being willing to try something, um, knowing that it may fail, and um, continuing to think big and and push regardless.
0: Excellent. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up, Kara?
2: If you are curious about making a podcast or Any piece of media that maybe doesn't fit neatly into the box of instructional design or whatever um, industry you're in, um, I would say find a team that will help you make it happen. Go for it. Um, Build at least, you know, a promo or one episode and see how it goes. And something that I always do is I listen to people who I think and who I know are better than me at what I enjoy doing. So listen to somebody who is great at podcasting. Listen to somebody who is excellent at interviews and crafting questions and finding that balance between, you know, asking the question that you want to know, but also asking the right follow-up question if their answer is a little bit different than you intended. And um, just always push yourself to grow from, from by surrounding yourself by t- a team that is better than you and by listening to people who are better than you. Um, because as my mom told me at a very young age, there's always someone that is going to be better at you <laughs> the, at, at everything you do. And um, there's always going to be someone who loves it and someone who doesn't. So you might as well go out and make what makes you happy and what creatively fulfills you and gets the job done. Your mom had some great advice. She did. (laughs) We we love you, Mom. (laughs) Karen. Shout out to Karen. (laughs) I'll make her listen to this.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm guaranteeing that you're going to make Mom listen to this. That's for sure. (laughs) Hey, we get one new listener this week. That's great. Kara, how could our our (laughs) listeners get more uh, of you?
2: They can look up a. Podcast called Classically Speaking, which is on iTunes. Um, and I did several episodes in there that I would, I'm still very proud of in terms of how it came out, especially if you're a classical music fan. And even if you're not, um, it was just, I think, some of my most special work that I've done. So you can hear some of that. Um, if you go to 91classical.org, there's um, all of my back history from being at the radio station. Um, and hopefully I'll be uh, scheming up some more projects in the future. I'll keep you posted.
0: Fantastic. Well, we're su- super glad that you showed up uh, this morning and uh, shared your journey with all of us. It was, it was great to have you. Thank you so much. Hope to have you back. And I can't wait for season two.
2: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome.
0: <laughs> daniel Yes, Scott. Do us a solid and tell our listeners how they can get more of us. Absolutely.
3: Party people, if you haven't already, hit us up at email at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us questions, join in the discussion, whatever you got, go ahead and send us an email. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. Like us, participate in our discussions there. Just reach out and say, hey, we're okay for it. And for our Instagram party people, you can find us Fab Learning Nerds. Share your groovy stuff,
0: communicate with us, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Folks, that's going to wrap us up. For uh, this episode, do me a big favor. Hit that subscribe button. Subscribe to our shows. So you can get more groovy stuff. Listen to more awesome uh, ideas like you got from Care today. That'd be great. Share it with your friends. If you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other platform, please write us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to improve this show. And it does help us get our message out to other people. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. And I'm Kara. And we are fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. Okay, this is your post show fun with Kara and her babe story.
3: I can chime in with the question. You ready? Ready. Yeah. Kara, uh, I've had the opportunity to work with you in the past it's fantastic, but I I do know that there is a story you have about the movie Babe and a a quest you've been on. You, can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Absolutely. I can. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Academy Award nominated film, Babe. Uh, It must've come out in maybe 1995. Uh, But, My mom and I were watching it one day, and we get to the scene where the farmer goes to the fair and he picks Babe the pig up and he has to guess the weight to win the pig. And, you know, he's, you know, hoisting the pig up and down, feeling him, and then the pig pees. And it's this little comedic moment, and there is a little girl who is at the fair, and her only like purpose in the film, her only role was to just kind of look up at this pig peeing and when we saw that my mom and I just like stopped dead in our tracks because this little girl looked exactly like me like it was uncanny my own mother was like freaked out and we (laughs) fast forwarded to the credits and she is not in there and so my mom is a bit theatrical and she's like well let's just tell people that it's you And I said, (laughs) yeah, you know, I were like eight at the time or something and thought it was a really funny gag. So for years and years of my life, when we would, you know, in classrooms do the go around and say your name and say one interesting fact about you, I would say, oh, I was in the movie Babe. And people be like, what? And i tell them the scene and I would, you know, I would, I was able to pepper it with enough truths that it sounded really uh, viable because like I had an actual cousin who did like animatronics in movies. He worked on like Starship Troopers and all these other campy films. So I was like, yeah, my uncle hooked me up and I, I just went down there and I made friends with the cast and it was just like a great day of filming in Pennsylvania. I don't know if that's true, but, um, <laughs> and I it, it just sort of became a quasi-truth even for me because I said it for so many years. And so one day <laughs> as a grown adult, I told my fiance, who now my husband, and he started telling people and he is like the most honest person, um, cannot lie. And one day we were driving down the, the road in our car and I it came up and I turned to him and I had forgotten that I never told him that it was not true. And I, this was like years later into our relationship. And I just said, I wonder what that girl looks like now. I wonder if she looks like me. And he literally just had to pull the car over. And he was like, what? You Like, this is not <laughs> true. I've been telling people that you were in babe for years. And um." You know, as a grown person, I would usually tell the story and then immediately come out with, you know, well, actually, that's not true. Instead of letting them believe it for the length of years. Um, But I actually tried to do some research about like, where is this girl, this now woman? Is she like my true doppelganger? Do we look alike now? And I actually wrote into a podcast that is no longer running, but it was called The Mystery Show. Um with Starly Kine and people would just send in their weird mysteries and she would go solve them. I loved the podcast so much. Um, and it, you know, was not renewed. And so she never answered my question, but I, I think I need to like email the producers and try and get in touch with this girl and, you know, at least apologize for taking credit for her, her turn in date <laughs> for so many years.
3: <laughs> to, to our audience, I have seen the pictures. Of, of this this actress in the scene and uh Kara and they look uncannily similar. It is a solid 50-50 chance that telling people she wasn't in the movie is just part of the long con than she actually was because when she says they look exactly like, it is exactly like. It is weird.
2: The only difference is she had red I... hair and I was a blonde, but I told people I I just wore a wig. <laughs>
1: I was I could not have expected this story less. <laughs> you seem like such a nice person and to find out you've just been lying for years.
2: Um, you know, I told you I was I'm a really re- artistic <laughs> sure. I told you I was a really artistic kid that involved a lot of like weird theater. And so it's not that much outside of my wheelhouse because, you know, theater and, and plays is just, you know, pretending you're someone else for a while.
1: I just love it. I I love it. I like you even more. I I,
3: I love the fact that during the entire story, Scott, your mouth was completely agape. You were just completely (laughs) stunned looking for our audience. It's the only time I've seen Scott just completely gobsmacked.
0: Yeah, well, I have a confession. um, That is, um, I'm Nick Fury's stand-in double for all of the... uh, I thought you
2: looked
0: alike. Totally... (laughs) 100% One hundred percent. Me and Samuel L. Jackson can't tell us apart. <laughs> Actually, the the uh, the uh, side truth of that is, I do cosplay as um, classic Nick Fury, and I do look surprisingly a lot like him. So that that is true. But yeah, that's. Thank Scott. you for sharing that story. That is great. <laughs> Scott, You're you have welcome. to share
3: those pictures. Have to share those pictures. I will. Excellent.
0: All right. Thanks, everybody. Hold on. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If If you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlexLearning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com BE.